Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Hey everyone, good morning and welcome to West Point Church. Uh, I want to tell you a joke this morning. I once heard about a, a wealthy Texan who had an impressive ranch in Texas, and on his ranch, he had this huge floodlit swimming pool. And in the swimming pool, he kept a shark. Now, the rich Texan loved to throw these lavish dinner parties, and he would invite his guests around the pool afterwards. And he would say to them, if any of you will swim the length of this pool, then I will give you one of three things. $10 million, or half of my estate, or you can have my beautiful daughter's hand in marriage. Well, one evening, as he was saying this, uh, he always said before he finished, I must warn you, however, that before you do so, there is a shark in the pool. Well, one evening, as he was saying this, there was a splash, and a, a man, very nicely dressed, swam the entire length of the pool, chased by the shark, and he got out of the pool just in time as the the shark thudded into the wall. Well, the Texan said, congratulations, you're the very first person who has ever done that. Now, what would you like? Would you like the $10 million? And the man gasped and said, no, thank you. He said, well, would you like half of my estate? The man said, no, thank you. He said, ah, Uh, You want the hand of my daughter in marriage. The exasperated man said, no, thank you. So the Texan said to him, well, what do you want? He said, I want the name of the man who pushed me in. Uh, Well, we're so excited this morning to transition out of the book of Luke and into the book of Acts. And after this message, We're going to take a little bit of time to worship together, and then we want to hear from you. We're going to have some time to discuss some questions and some engagement this morning, and and we want to discuss this particular passage of Scripture. Now, I want to start by sharing a little bit of background information on this incredible book, but in order to do that, let's start in chapter 1, verse 1 from the book of Acts. Would you join with me in reading God's word this morning? It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, he's talking about Luke here, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who we we just talked about there. He was a medical doctor who worked and traveled with the Apostle Paul. And he was commissioned by a guy named Theophilus to write a history of the life of Jesus and apparently decided to continue the story in the book of Acts. Now, Acts is also written to Theophilus, and it's the story of the early church. And it starts overlapping a few sentences with the book of Luke, which we're going to look at at the end of this message. Now, from the moment Jesus ascended to heaven to the end of the Apostle Paul's time as a missionary, that is essentially the book of Acts. 
And um, it, it takes us right up to that point shortly before he was executed. Now, there are two ditches when it comes to the book of Acts. And I already said that this is the story of the early church, but there's been a little bit of a debate about how to interpret this incredible book and what it means for us today. Now, I believe that there are two ditches when it comes to interpreting this book, and I heard it described this way by another pastor and thought this was a really good way of looking at it. The first group says that Acts is prescriptive, prescriptive. In other words, the book of Acts is designed to be a model of how we're to do church today. Now, people in this camp would say, if we want to be a biblical church, then our church should look exactly like the book of Acts. And many in the the house church movement would use this as their argument. The early church met in homes, not in worship centers. They ate meals together, and they shared all their possessions. And so if we want to be a biblical church and have God's blessing, then that's how we need to be. And the second group of people would say to that argument that the book of Acts is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It describes or it tells the story of how God moved in in the early church. And it's not what he wants to do today, it's what he wanted to do then. And if we want God's favor, then we need to see what he wants us to do in our church today. And the truth is that no matter which ditch you find yourself in, you're still in the ditch. And I want to make an argument this morning that the book of Acts is both prescriptive and descriptive. And the truth lies somewhere in the middle of those two ideas. So as we go through this book together, I believe that you're going to marvel at everything that had happened with the apostles as they built the kingdom of God. But I just, I don't want us to get hung up on the, how the model of how God built his church. I would rather let us, um, the prescriptive model will kind of lead us to some wrong conclusions in that way. Let's instead think about the reasons why they did the things that they did. Uh, for example, they met in houses because they were under great persecution. If they would have met in a building, they would have all been arrested, right? And they shared their possessions because they were in extreme poverty. The church was made up of poor and outcasts from society, and, um, you know, it was a matter of survival that they shared their possessions. But to say it's just descriptive is a ditch, too. Uh, (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Does the nature and character and heart of God ever change? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God, knowing our circumstances and our culture perfectly, designs a way for us to be most effective in the mission that he's given to us. But the principles of why he does what he does do not change. He's the same, but his methods are always changing. So if we could just read the book of Acts and and get the model and follow it, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. But as we're about to read, the whole point of this book is to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit so that we can effectively adapt to our situation and do what we need to do to be effective ministers of the gospel. Now let me give you a few examples of what that kind of looks like in our setting Uh, some of the ways that God has moved here. 
You know, two months ago, meeting in homes and watching church online was absurd. In fact, we had no intention of live streaming our services. We had explored the idea in the past, but we wrote it off due to our internet problems here at the facility. Now, necessity is the mother of invention, and through some creativity, we figured out a way to broadcast our services live. And now people are hearing about the love of Jesus and being taught and ministered to in their own home. And we're likely going to continue to do this well after we're back meeting together again. Now, nobody had ever done a drive-in church service that I'm aware of before. Uh, There was no reason to. But next week, we're going to gather again in the parking lot and honk our horns and worship together. And it's strange, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. Here's another one. Uh, We aren't necessarily about communal living here. Um, You're not going to sleep at my house tonight. But right now, we're seeing this church step up in incredibly uncommon ways to meet the needs of people and demonstrate a heart of caring and loving for others. And I can think of several examples during just this time period of people giving way above and beyond with generosity during this time and, and caring for those who are in need, people who have chosen to be faithful with giving. In fact, I I just got a voicemail the other day of someone with a financial, uh, saying, if anybody has a financial need, let me know. This isn't a wealthy person. This is just someone who cares about the family of God. Now, you want to talk about miracles? Can I tell you something? Every time this church right here has taken a leap of faith, God has blessed it. A couple of years ago, our leadership team decided to take a crazy leap of faith and not only make our monthly mission support part of our general fund, but to actually increase our mission's budget. And over the last two years, that has grown and built up. And last year, we gave over $130,000 to missions. Now, here's the common thread between all those scenarios. God's heart remains the same through this all. And he wants us to share the message of Christ effectively and walk in crazy faith and care for the broken and the hurting and the poor. Well, how do we do that? By leaning and engaging in the power of the Holy Spirit and listening to what he tells us to do. He'll give us creativity. Uh, He'll give us uh, ways to minister effectively. So let's get to the rest of this chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse Four. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's telling them what's coming and that they're supposed to wait for this Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, Jesus actually taught the disciples this in John chapter 14. And there are three things that he lists there that the Holy Spirit does for us. And the first one is that he empowers us. Let's look at John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works then these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, 
I will do it. Now, I've seen miracles before and experienced the supernatural, but how will we ever experience the power of God unless we begin to pray and ask for, for the miraculous? He's promised us that with the help of his Holy Spirit that we can even do greater things than what Jesus did here on this earth. So the Holy Spirit empowers us. He's also our teacher. Uh, let's keep reading in verse 25. Uh, it says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he's our teacher when we study God's word. He's our navigator when we walk through life. He's our counselor when we don't know what to do. Uh, and it, the Holy Spirit not only does all that, but the third thing is that he brings us peace. Uh, let's keep reading in chapter 14, verse 27. Here's what it says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now, why do we need this? Well, it's obvious, Pastor Paul. He wants us to have peace. <laughs> and he wants us to have understanding. He wants to be our teacher. And he, he wants us to do great works in his name. Well, yeah, but why? And these next verses back in Acts, tell us why. And so let's go back to Acts chapter 1, and let's pick it up where we left off in verse 6. It says, So when they came, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, even in that moment, after everything the disciples had just been through, seeing the resurrection, right? Uh, watching Jesus die on the cross, being restored, they were still focused on the wrong thing. They were worried about the restoration of Israel, the country, the nation. They were obsessed about knowing what was coming. And Jesus said that is not the point at all. Israel is not the objective here. We're building the kingdom of God. Now, you need the Holy Spirit to be your teacher because you're called to be witnesses. And you need his wisdom to do that creatively and effectively. You need his power because the miracles that you perform will cause others to believe. And you need peace because a call to follow Jesus is not an easy one. And without the peace of the Holy Spirit, you're going to lose your mind. Now, he didn't give you the Holy Spirit so that you could just feel better about yourself or have warm, fuzzy feelings inside or feel good about your relationship with God. He gave you the Holy Spirit so you could be an effective witness of what Christ has done for you and for the world. So after that incredible command, Jesus flies away. What? Let's pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 1. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, isn't that incredible? So the angels are standing there with him, saying, okay, guys, what are you going to do now? Why are you looking up there? He's gone. Get to work. Seems kind of abrupt, right? There's the resurrection. There's 40 more days here on this earth with Jesus. There's this big challenge, this commission, and then he's gone. And there's actually a little bit more to the story. Now let's go to the four verses from Luke that overlap with Acts because this gives us a little more insight into what actually happened. If you'll turn there with me to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read from verse 50. Here's what it says. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Isn't that good? He blessed them as he floated up into the sky. Now, I don't know about you, but I picture him singing the Carrie Job song, right? As he disappears into the clouds. I know that song was written 2,000 years later, but let's not get, let facts get in the way of a good story. He was singing, May my favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children and my presence goes before you and behind you and beside you, all around you, and within you, I am with you, I am with you, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, and your going, in your weeping, and rejoicing, he is for you, and he's singing that blessing over you right now, how powerful is that truth? That as Jesus left this earth, his last act on this earth was to give a blessing. Now I'm going to pray a blessing over you right now this morning from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. It's where this song came from. Here's what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now would you join us as we sing that song this morning in worship to the Lord. We bless you, God. <laughs> 